This is John Berger, entertainment writer and columnist for the Honolulu Star Advertiser. There's a reason that I've been interviewing entertainers for over 40 years on Hawaii's premier daily publications and radio stations, and why Maleko and Flash are stuck on a podcast. This is John Berger, entertainment writer and columnist for the Honolulu Star Advertiser. Maleko and Flash have probably the worst interview skills of anyone I've ever come across. Enjoy the podcast. I want to take a moment before we do the podcast. I want to talk about my new favorite thing. Okay. This, this flask cap. Oh, yeah. This is the coolest yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were showing me that the other day. This is the coolest thing. I saw this. It was advertised to me on Instagram, and I thought, I need this in my life. So I bought two. I bought one for me and my wife. It's essentially a discreet way to keep your alcohol with you when you're doing everyday things. But it's not a flask. No. It, it goes on to like your hydro flask, whatever. Yeah. whatever. So your hydro flask tumbler or your Yeti tumblers, everybody's got one yeah, now, yeah. right? Whatever it is, you're drinking your water in all day long. Yeah. So you go to the beach, you're not it's really bad form to go to the beach with like liquor visible. Is you know? it though? You can't go out there and start pouring Tito's on the beach into your glass because then you're totally sure bit. would be great if I could though. But you can't. But you can now with the flask cap, because this is cool. It's a cap. That discreetly holds five ounces of liquor in the lid. And you just put it on any one of your existing tumblers. And so you grab the tumbler, you fill it with ice, you put Coca-Cola in it. And everybody sees you putting Coca-Cola in it, and that's it. And they're like, oh, I'm look, only drinking Coke. I'm, just drinking I'm only Coke. drinking Coke. Nothing to see here. Move along. Right? And then you put the lid on, and there's a button on top of the lid. And you just push it. It dispenses an ounce of your favorite liquor into your Coke. Oh, my goodness. So now I've got a Jack and Coke. I can push the button all five times, you though, if can, I want, Absolutely. Right? You lush. <laughs> you can. Okay. <laughs> well, now we're getting somewhere. It's great. It has made beach time so much more fun for me. It works really well, too. It's really well made. It's made in the USA. In fact, they they made it. A couple of, of, uh, of hipsters in Montana made this thing. And they're selling it now on the internets, and it's fantastic. It's called Flaskap, F-L-A-S-K-A-P. Flaskap. And, and it holds five ounces of liquor. What more do you want? I mean, I, I need this in my life is what I need. I could, be, I could be drinking this right now as we speak. If you want one, we are going to give you one. What? At the end I of this one. episode. Listen, at the end of this episode, we're going to tell you how you can win your very own flask cap and make your life five ounces cooler. <laughs> Any good-hearted person who experiences travel is going to come back changed. Nothing unexpected or, or wonderful or magic is likely to happen. Like if you have an itinerary in Paris, anywhere you go, having that kind of a schedule, it's punishing. You know, airports are not fun. And you're essentially reliving the airport experience on the ground if you do that. If I have a good base of operations, it'll be someplace I can wander from. Someplace I can walk around in a neighborhood that I like. I don't want to be in a resort. This is something I avoid, absolutely. Uh, I want to find a hotel in the center, reasonably in the center of things, or in a neighborhood that has charm and character. The sort of place that I can walk to a cafe or a hawker center and sit down and, you know, feel the place. 
I understand why you want to go, you know, you want to see Florence and uh, Venice and Rome all in one trip. I think that's a terrible idea. I would much rather experience one of those. There's no shortage of stuff to do and see. I'd maybe pick one diversion, but I think you are best served by exploring a finite area. The sort of frenzied compression of time to take the tour, to see the, the sights. It keeps you in a bubble that, that prevents you from having magic happen to you. Don't be afraid to just sit. Anthony Bourdain, a chef, author, travel documentarian, and television personality. He was considered one of the most influential chefs in the world. Bourdain died suddenly on June 8th of this year, and this episode of the Maleco and Flash podcast is dedicated entirely to his memory, and more specifically, his impact on Hawaii. Hello, hello, welcome to the Maleko and Flash podcast. I'm Maleko. Hey, and I'm Flash. And uh, we have gathered together some of our favorite chefs, uh, bartenders, bar owners, restaurateurs together uh, to talk about one of the most, uh, argument argumentatively, one of the most influential chefs uh, in culinary history uh, who passed away just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, admittedly, it's a little late for the conversation, but we're excited to talk about Anthony Bourdain today. Yeah, I think as far as TV goes and possibly books, I don't I I would be hard pressed to argue there's anyone more influential than Bourdain was. We're going to talk about his influence to Hawaii specifically, uh, particularly because the, the guests we've gathered today all had personal interactions with Anthony Bourdain. We're going to talk about all that in just a few minutes, but first we're going to start by introducing our bartender, our bartender today. Oh, wow. <laughs> Someone's been drinking already. <laughs> Tanner from Pint and Jigger is here. Tanner, thanks for coming on the show. Tanner, what did you make for us today? I made us a sherry cocktail. Um, we got... Um, some Calvados, uh, it's a French apple brandy, uh, Amontillado sherry, Mathilde pear, and banal. Sherry cocktails. Who's making sherry cocktails these days? Um, it's the next big thing. It's like the next blue bizzle. Is that you saying it's the next big thing? <laughs> or is or is it legitimately the next Kelly? I, I vouch to you for that. Is anybody <laughs> buying sherry at Young's? So much sherry, so much sherry. So it's much crazy. Uh, Pretty much, it's all Dave. But does yeah, Youngs carry sherry? I, I think we do. <laughs> so, they just pick it up from Walmart. It's the Kirkland special. Bristol cream, buddy. Bristol. Bristol cream. All right, Tanner. Thanks for that. Why don't you go start mixing some of those up? And Flash, why don't you introduce us to our elite panel of guests today? Starting with restaurateur Kelly Eheen, former owner of Apartment Three, probably the best restaurant on planet Earth. <laughs> Personal chef. Yeah. Yeah. 
vice president of Young's Market, and uh, he, along with myself and Gooch, filmed a segment with Bourdain uh, that featured um, Andrew, the owner of Pig and the Lady. And we also have just recently, I can say this, Emmy Award-winning TV producer for a food show... Food Network food truck winner, producer and host of Cooking Hawaiian Style, and he filmed a segment of No Reservations in Hawaii with Bourdain. It's the one and only Lanai. Woo-hoo. And finally, on the booze side, we've got Dave Newman, who is featured on Travel Channel's Booze Traveler, a show which absolutely would not have happened without Bourdain. He's the owner of Pint and Jigger and the super secret Harry's Emporium. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you all for coming back to the podcast. Uh, I thought for sure after you guys had an experience with us last time, you would never return. Donuts, guys, you think Mm. you get something better than donuts? But that's okay. Nothing but the best. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Nothing but the best uh, eight-year-eight-hour-old donuts from Michael W. Perry. Yeah, Michael W. Perry picked him up at the Kalihi Zippies from you guys. (laughs) But why do you have to pick him up two days ago? Yeah. (laughs) So uh, there's been a severe uh, vacancy in in the chef world and the documentarian world. Uh, I mean, as, as a television producer, as a chef, as a bartender, everyone in this room has had an impact uh, from the loss of Anthony Bourdain. Uh, and we'll talk about that today. We'll start, with, first of all, with personal contact. I mean, Lanai, you actually taped a show uh, with Anthony Bourdain when he was here in Hawaii. Uh, why don't you start us from the beginning? How did that, how did that happen? I was, you know, I was lucky, first of all. Um, Brian Keolana. They uh, got a hold of Brian Keolana from Macaw the Waterman, and Brian and I are good friends. And they said, oh, you got to call this guy. So they called me, and uh, they asked, where would I take him? What would I do? And I said, well, I'll take him to my house. At the time, I was living in Kalihi, and uh, wanted because they want, you know, I knew what he did already, and uh, was a big fan, obviously, like everybody else. But took him to my house in Kalihi, and uh, just walked him all around the uh, Kalihi to show him you know, the different types of people who live there, prominently Filipino, but everything in the yards he was fascinated with. You know, you had coconuts, and then you had a kalamungai tree from the Philippines. Then you had a mango tree, and then you had a lychee tree. You had all these different things. So we just kind of, we spent, I don't know, maybe 45 minutes walking through Kalihi. We saw probably 30 seconds of it on the show, and then we went to a friend of mine's house, and we cooked for him. Um, The interesting thing about the whole day was I probably spent... The eight nine hours with him and it was about a four or five minute segment um but <laughs> the stuff you didn't see is I, I invited my uncle over and we had a kava ceremony for him so at the ending towards the ending of taping everybody was blitzed already so <laughs> now i want to stop you right there yeah. just so that people listening know bourdain was he actually drinking of course. So yes. he, sh- yeah, he showed up with a case of Heineken, and I said, what'd you bring that for? And he said, I know you Hawaiians, you don't show up empty-handed. <laughs> so he brought a, a case of Heineken with him. And um, yeah, so we started cooking. We had the kava ceremony, and then uh, one of my friends busts out a joint, and he goes, you know, you can't say no to the locals, so I guess, <laughs> I guess we're all going to partake in this. But he says, can we wait till the cameras are off? Okay. So they probably didn't leave. We finished taping at sunset, but they probably didn't leave. Most of the camera couldn't leave till two or three in the morning. Oh my God! And uh, we just we had we sat in a circle and they were sharing these stories of where they went. And now no reservations is I don't know six seven years old now. So this was before he was just starting. I guess that was his his first show really after the uh, Food Network. He went the to Food the Network Channel. one, which was a 
total disaster. Yeah. Well, to he him. left there. Yeah, yeah, he left there. No um, Reservations was the show that really put him on the map. That was his show. Before Parts Unknown on CNN. Yeah. Yeah. So that was his show. Um, when I say his show, he really had full control of it, mm-hmm. of it, I guess. Um, but was some amazing stories he would tell. And the stories, the one story that I liked the most was he, uh, they went to a cave somewhere in Guatemala or something, this bat cave. And it took him five hours to get there. And the camera guys that were with us were just, they're with him all the time. He has the same crew all the time. And they started chiming in how it was the worst job in the world. <laughs> and he didn't know what they were thought because I guess it's the first time they're chiming in to how it was the worst job in the world. But they would walk into these caves and it was dark and they put the lights down and they noticed they were in three foot of oh. just crap from bats and whatever else lived in the thing. And then they had to walk, you yeah. know, two hours, three hours back to where civilization was covered in this feces. <laughs> but he had all these amazing stories that, you know, was, was uh, and he was a great storyteller. Obviously, we know that. Um, and uh, at the end of the night, he um, he ended up. He said he had to go because they were filming the next day. But the crew stayed, hmm. and uh, uh, he became friends with one of the producers, who was a young guy who would set up all his his trips. Anyway, Anthony went home because his daughter. So no, this was eleven years ago now. His daughter was about one years old, and he says it was I think one of their first trips, and they came to Hawaii. And they were staying at the Kahala. So he had to go home because he brought the daughter with him mm-hmm. and had to go back. But he, you know, I don't believe he did it. That's, I'm going to go, this is my opinion. I don't believe he uh, suicided himself. Oh, you're going right to the end. Yeah, I'm going okay. right to the end. I think somebody else. Because yeah. his love for mm-hmm. life, what he, what he uh, his love for his daughter, most importantly. Um, well, let's, let's hold on to that okay. for just a second. All right. I, I, Let's talk about his life before we talk about right. the end, because I think we all kind of want to talk about that. I mean, definitely that's on everybody's minds. Um, but while he was here, um, he actually had a number of experiences with with different people around the island. He met, you know, that that was his thing. Yeah. He came several times with, with his yeah. with his show. Is he would meet the locals and he would he would find out where do the locals go? What do the locals like to do? Um, that's how we found you. That's how we found others here. Uh, let's let's move on the conversation here. Let's talk a little bit uh, uh, to Dave. Maybe uh, talk about how. Uh, you wound up coming much later into the picture with his television uh, experience with the Travel Channel's Booze Traveler. Uh, and you actually had an interesting experience with him. I think you shared some of it on our last podcast. Uh, it may have actually been while we were sitting at the bar at uh, at Harry's Hardware Emporium. But uh, if you would just kind of talk it a little bit about... It was at Harry's, yeah. Yeah, talk about that experience, about how you got involved with the Travel Channel show. Um, so I got involved with... Well, let me go back a little bit before that. Um, because I got to actually uh, have Bourdain sit at my bar a few times at Nobu, uh, both in Malibu and and here. Um, he doesn't strike me as a Nobu guy. <laughs> it, which is funny because he's really good friends with Chef Nobu Matsuhisa. Um, but he, his demeanor and just his interaction with everybody was the most real out of, and I got to meet a ton of celebrities um, through my experiences at Nobu, but he was the most real, genuine celebrity huge personality I've ever met. Like he was incredibly interested in what I was doing and what was going on in our restaurant. Was there like anything special that we were using locally? He never lost his roots. He didn't. It was, and it was really, really special. It's, it's interesting to meet people that we all hold so high that are just incredibly real, real people. Does that pull away some of the barrier? There's always this barrier when you see a celebrity. Do I talk to him? Do I not talk to him? How much do I disclose? How much do I ask? It's like Maleko the first time he met me. 
Um, well, I, I got to reel things even further back. What's the, what's the, what's the word of the day? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Newman. What is the word of the day? I'm getting thirsty. Oh, these pretzels. Um, all right. So what, know, what's the, the word of the day? Let's, let's do the word travel. Travel. Word travel. Awesome. We're going to talk about the travel channel quite travel. a bit. So anytime you hear the word travel today, ring the bell. Kali. You got to ring it more than that, buddy. Come on. Newman. Like you mean it. <laughs> Newman, the guest. Thanks for bringing it back yeah. into the programming. That's... <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, Flash is that, not, that even, silence. not even like you do a real radio show, Flash. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, that's delicious. Thank you, Tanner. Oh, great job. <laughs> this is amazing. And I and love Tanner bringing it back to the sherry. Amazing. Good cocktail. Um, yeah, absolutely. It breaks down barriers. Um, when people are incredibly real and genuine, uh, I think it, it just creates that connection, which is clearly something that he had the most talent for. Um, I think we all think of what chefs we see on TV all the time and with celebrity chefs. I feel people felt a genuine connection to him because of that reason and, and for what the other things that he was so gifted at. I mean, he's probably the best storyteller chef we've ever had. Most, I think, chefs on TV play up like a caricature of themselves, like a Gordon Ramsay or whoever throwing plates on the wall and yelling and screaming at everybody. And it seems like Bourdain just was always just himself. He wasn't trying to be a character on TV on a show per se. Yeah. I, and the only other exa- best example I have of this is uh, there's a, a bartender in Portland named Jeffrey Morgenthaler. He's incredibly famous. He owns Pepe Lamoco and Clyde Common. He's uh, the guy who runs that show, written books, all this stuff. And he does all these events. At the end of the day, he's a bartender and he can't hide it. So he'll show up to give seminars and you know, half the slides still say click here to insert text. And <laughs> he won't start the, the you know, the, his day until somebody brings him some coffee. He's a bartender. Uh, at the end of the day, like Anthony Bourdain was himself. He was this amazing, gifted storyteller chef that brought, I like, I don't know, we sat around every week waiting for his show and sat in my living room drinking. And uh, couldn't wait to hear these stories about where he was traveling. Oh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> Delicious mm-hmm. Tanner, and and he and he well inserted done, our he inserted himself into our lives, and everybody felt incredibly connected mm-hmm. to him, and incredibly grateful for all those experiences. His television career was launched by the book Kitchen Confidential, uh, which he wrote in two thousand, released in two thousand. Uh, he wound up having we talked about it a little bit that failed Food Network show, which was called A Cook's Tour. I, I think it could had thirty five episodes. So I mean, the word fail is is it's, loosely. It wasn't failed. It was a it was butting just, of heads between him and the Food Network for well, what they and the, wanted. Yeah, the other thing was that Food Network wasn't as popular yet. It just started mm-hmm. ramping up. Um, but yeah, the, they were butting heads because he didn't have the freedom to do what he wanted to do. He always wanted to do like a No Reservations, and yeah. Food Network wanted him to do like Rachel Ray or whatever. Right. right. I think it was in the second book where they were talking about how they just wanted him to do barbecue all the time. Because every time he did barbecue, the rating spiked. So he's like, screw this. I'm not doing barbecue <laughs> every day for the rest of my career. Yeah. I'm out. Well, is that Bobby Flay is now the barbecue guy. Bobby Flay, to me, he's like a caricature yeah. of a real person. He yeah. just plays he's the one, Bobby he's, Flay role. He's got one, one, one album. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he wound up doing that for about a year at Food Network. And then he wound up going to the Travel Channel to do uh, No Reservations. Now, that ran until 2012 which is uh, during that time when, when Lanai wound up uh, working with Anthony Bourdain. But then he came back, um, and he was doing uh, The Layover, 
Um, and then, of course, uh, Parts Unknown. So it was it was during one of these other reiterations of television that actually he came back to Hawaii and he shot with, with you, Dave. And I want to talk a little bit about that because you had one of the most unique experiences in shooting that I've heard yet about Anthony Bourdain. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that TV show and that experience in my life was just absolutely incredible. Um, they actually approached me for what we wanted to do segment-wise. I pitched a few ideas. I had actually said, like, let's go to the backside of the Mokes, get to a deserted place, and just uh, get um, some of Hawaii's amazing bartenders together. And they were like, you know what would be a better idea is if you could meet up at the airport and hop on a helicopter and fly there. And I was like, okay, bucket list. Okay, sure. Let's let's fly in a helicopter to work. Um, and it was a- absolutely amazing. The really cool part about that for me was their interest in actually showcasing what what was really, really special about Hawaii. Wait, this wasn't a Bourdain show. This was Booze Traveler. This was a, this is a Booze Traveler. This right. is a Booze Traveler. Clearly a show inspired by Bourdain. Ab- absolutely inspired absolutely. by Bourdain. 1,000%. And... And there was a phone call that I got to have with Bourdain about that prior to the show. So his connection to the show was behind, more behind the scenes, but he was incredibly like concerned about what was going on with everything that was happening on, on that station, which is really, really cool. Was he concerned about how Hawaii was being presented? About how? Absolutely. That was his, that was his absolute focus. He was like... What are you guys going to do? What's your ideas? How does this portray Hawaii? Yeah, he would say, "He would say, is this how you is this how you guys would do it, or is this how you're going to make it?" Like when we uh, we brought over um, some entertainers, and he goes, "Do you usually have people jamming in your yard?" And I go, "Yeah, we always have people kind of kapila." Is it regular to smoke marijuana yeah. at a house party <laughs> yeah. in Hawaii? Yeah, <laughs> is that normal? Running around, yeah. He was. He always asked that. I don't know if he asked. Yeah, and so he, I mean, he, he clearly to- did his homework. He brought a case of Heineken. Yeah. He yeah. wanted the experience to be as authentic as possible, oh, yeah. I which think, is which is funny because in television, so much of it, even in radio, is for show. It, that's why people loved it. They figured it out. They figured it out quick. I, I think he was always very respectful of whatever culture and that's community he was going into, and that's what made you want to watch because you felt like you were getting a real version of whatever that place was that you were going. Not the like Waikiki of Hawaii, but you were getting like Kalihi Backyard House Party. Which it so could have easily, Booze Traveler could have easily been shot at Rum Fire or something. You know, they just, let's just shoot it. We'll come downstairs. We'll go back up to our room and, and we'll call it a day. This experience was something that most people won't ever get to see. No, absolutely. I mean, you get a group of Hawaii's elite bartenders and, and people in the industry. Who was who was working on it? So we had uh, Kyle Reitner from Kohana Rum. Now he he had opened Pig and a Lady at the time and <clears> was, was running that. He was at Apartment 3. Yeah. Just, just yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Joey got <laughs> out in Apartment 3. Yeah. Most nights he was <laughs> the only one there. But, <laughs> but you could get the best drink by yourself. It was amazing. It's a great drink. Um, and, and Harry's Hardware looks exactly like it. It's amazing. It does. Only there's um, more people. It's weird. <laughs> Uh, Joey Gottesman, who's a mixologist, uh, spirit specialist for Young's Market Better Brands, um, in, an incredible wealth of knowledge, and somebody who had the, you know their finger on the pulse of what was going on in Hawaii at the time. Uh, Yui, uh, she's one of those people that just needs one name. Yeah, uh, she's, she's been on our show before. She's awesome. I was just with her in Japan. Yes. yes. Oh my yes. god. She we, talked and you're about still that. alive. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. First time I met her too. It was the first time I met her. Yeah, it's, she's awesome. She's amazing. Uh, Christian Self. 
um, yeah, member of, of Bevy, mm-hmm. of one of the old school guys who well, talk about an all star cast, right? I mean, you're, you're you're talking about all have everybody you've named there is a heavy, but heavy you hitter. you were allowed to pick. The roster, correct? Oh, now you're going to get me in so much trouble. <laughs> no one listens. It's okay. No, it's cool. uh, yeah. Jesse Greenleaf, who's served more yes. alcohol than anybody else in Dukes. Hawaii. Yep. Like, Love Jesse. Just crushing. Um, and then we got to get, get together and, and just talk story and make drinks in one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. I got to ride a helicopter. It was amazing. In filming a show like that, there's there's always... Um, a little bit of planning that goes into these things. You know, the, in, in television in general, the fake team seems to broadcast better than the real. You know, it's easier to get a beautiful person there than somebody who's, you know, who's real and just kind of knows the business. Anthony Bourdain did the opposite of that. He just went and he, he didn't find the beautiful people. He didn't go find the models and talk to them or the, the gorgeous bartenders and things. He just went to the real people. That's why I was never on the show. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> you know, it was weird. His producers and fixers or whoever was organizing that was incredibly good at what they did because they, they yeah. got to a lair. I mean, everybody's got calls from a TV show of some sort and says, hey, what should we do? And you give them something authentic. They're like, yeah, not so much. Right. I don't want to do that. I kind of want the, you know. They want, they want the rum fires I and want the, the rainbow the, dolphin right. version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of that, yeah. but his guys were really into like digging into the culture and the people that really mattered and, and made a difference in, which, the, in our communities. Which takes me to where I wanted to go next, which was to introduce Kelly into the conversation here. Talk Finally, about, talk about the segment—the segment that you filmed uh, with Flash and Gooch and and you Martin Gucci. Uh, you had a, a real, um, you had a real moment with him. Let's talk about that for a bit. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean we were filming the show? Yeah. I mean, it's more like after we were done yes. filming, and well, then we were actually all drinking together. Yeah. yeah so that, moment, that was you guys had a moment. Yeah. We we did. We were, so when, the way it happened was Gooch called us up. He called me up, and I was living on Maui. It, explain who Mark Naguchi is. Mark Naguchi is, is a Peely listeners. Group um, uh, chef extraordinaire. Um, he runs a million different things. He's done Hawaiian Airlines food. He's, he's, done, he's been. He he's has his everything. own TV food. He, he yeah. does the whole deal. We might have had him on the show, but he hates Flash. So, yes, there, yeah. there, there is that part. He's, he's, he's kind traveling of a poster right child for organic, sustainable right. Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. So, so he calls me up and he goes, "Hey, we're gonna. You can't tell anybody, but we're gonna be doing a segment with Bourdain in Honolulu. Can you fly over?" I was like, oh, "Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, there's no. Of course, I'm gonna come over." So he calls me up and we we figured a thing out and we we're shooting at. Uh, is it any place lounge? I think so. Any place lounge. So we get to the lounge and Flash and I are so excited. We start drinking ourselves yeah. into oblivion before they even get there. We were, we were, we were a couple of Big surprise. Em- embarrassing fangirls. And, I, and I'm not, you know, I'm not one to get starstruck when I see a, an actor or a celebrity of any right. sort. But when Bourdain's showing up, it stuff changes. Right. It and changes. Is, it changes the whole dynamic. Yeah. At the time, the Travel Channel was actually, it was our generation's MTV. It was on Always, even at apartment three, it was on. It was at bars. It was one of those things where if you knew it, the TV was on, there was a Travel Channel show on somewhere, and it was usually Anthony Bourdain doing one. I, one I think of his you. Shows. I mean, I only watch the Travel Channel for Bourdain. I really, I don't care about Rachel Ray or Bobby Flay or what any of those guys. So those are Food Networks. So Whatever. It's clear to me. That you it's, don't but that's care. no. But that's my point. Is it's all the same. It's so homogenized. Yeah. It's all different versions of the same thing. Yeah, but to at me, one time Bourdain was Anthony, the reason why you would watch it. And at one time. All that was on was Anthony Bourdain. You know, you could turn it on at any hour of the day, it seems, and yeah. you could catch an episode of Bourdain. Kind of like now on CNN. 
Yeah. Exactly. Every five minutes, a new show yeah. from Bourdain is on. I don't well, know. Well, I mean, especially I don't know since he passed. Highlighting and capitalizing yeah, yeah, one yeah. of the two, but they either, are. either way, it's a yep. lot of shows. They are. So you guys wound up filming a, a segment, and then... Yeah, so so we're super excited about it, right? And so we're there, and he shows up, and he's having his interview with uh, with Mark Noguchi and Andrew Lay, and they, they get done, and you know, uh, of course, we want to fangirl out, so he comes to our table, and we're like, are you going to go out with us? We have a huge night planned for you. We're going to go get wasted. We're going to go in the town. And he's like, oh, I got to go to train jiu-jitsu tomorrow morning, but, yeah. but I'll have a beer or two with you guys. So he sounds like a us. likely excuse. We by invited the way. him to uh, what's the what's the weirdo strip club? Oh God, um, Foxy? Uh, no, uh, Alley Cats. Alley Cats. Alley Cats. Wow. We tried oh, to get him to go to Alley Cats. <laughs> we ended up going by ourselves. We, <laughs> we did end up going <laughs> later on by ourselves. We were so story. excited he was going to go with us. We went by ourselves. Yeah. And then, yeah, that's a whole other story. But not surprised. Anyway, um, we got there, but he was so extraordinarily gracious with his time, and we, we, he doesn't know us from anybody, but taking the time to hang out with us, have a beer, talk story for a little while, and um, you know, it really raised my respect for him because somebody of his celebrity in that at that time had no was unnecessary for them to do all those things it, but it wasn't just us it was a whole he films at a table with gooch and andrew and the whole room is basically of extras as cast so the minute they're done filming the entire room wants to drink with them take shots with them take pictures sure. with them like everyone is like ah so he was i mean and he was gracious not only with with just yeah. us but yeah. like literally the entire room he stayed several hours after just to make sure that he got QT with everyone when he could have been like, okay, segment's over, I'm out. Yeah, and he was actually, the the, the odd parts were the next day, so my uh, my wife and my sister are eating lunch at town, didn't know he was filming a segment there, and they show up, and there he is, so they take a picture with him. And then uh, I get to the airport to fly back to Maui, and it's the same producers, they're on my flight. So then they're starting to get a little weirded out by the whole situation about like was this guy like super stalker Stalking. guy or what's going on? And I get there yes, and Gooch calls yes, me up. He is. Yeah, absolutely, I was. <laughs> so he calls me up and he goes, "Hey, can you help out the producers find some uh, some segments to shoot on Maui?" I said, "Sure." So the producer calls me up and I go, "I don't know this is weird, but I was the guy that shot the thing at uh, any place lounge. I saw you at the airport and we talked there. And now, yeah, I'm the guy on the phone. But <laughs> this isn't weird at all. So just just go with it." <laughs> and they ended up using none of my stuff. So we're, yeah, they're like, yeah, <laughs> we're going to Kauai. It's like the first time you try anal. Just go with it. <laughs> it'll be super regular. I thought this was PG. Mm. <laughs> this is PG. Mm. 13. Mm. Yeah. PG 13. Yes. It's a new yeah. flavor. It's a new flavor of vodka. That's <laughs> how I like to clean. Mm. <laughs> 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 what is it about Anthony Bourdain that strikes a chord with people in the restaurant and bar industry? You know, I was really introduced to Bourdain. Kaylee, when I was opening Apartment 3, obviously, if you've ever opened a restaurant before, any business, you're just, you're swamped and juggling a million plates. And uh, Kaylee gives me this book, Kitchen Confidential, and he's like, you got to read this. And it was, you feel like in the restaurant world or in the F&B world, you're, you're, you're just kind of this lonely like island and no one kind of understands you in the bigger world. And like to read Kitchen Confidential, which was this number one New York Times bestseller, and then he gets a TV show out of it. It's like somebody, even though he was from that world, it was at that point someone outside that world recognized your pain and your struggle and all the craziness of front of the house and back of the house and how just dealing with everyone in the hospitality industry is. And quite frankly, it really inspired me to be like, you know, it. this is all normal. This is all okay. Like all the headaches, all the drama. It's like, it's a universal pain that anyone that is working in or owns or manages a restaurant or a bar or a club, we all have to deal with it and go through it. And it just... Misery enjoys company. Yeah. It, it kind of like, you know, it was like the wind beneath my sails, so to speak, to like, 
you all you have those down days in, in the business, whether you know whether you're a bartender like Tanner or a bar owner like Newman or whatever, where it's just like you're just like, what the hell am I doing? And who are all these weird people? And it was it was like nice that someone kind of shined a spotlight on the whole industry and gave really the whole industry props. Well, you think at that time when that came out, there was very little. There was just the beginning of celebrity. We're just kind of on the hump. When when oh, did oh, shit, 2000 that it came out? The beginning of tattoo sleeves and celebrity yeah, yeah. Chefs. But prior to that, it was a very shiny, <laughs> polished version. There was no celebrity, yeah. and then there was this shiny Food Network version of what chefs did. And he was the first guy to kind of peel it all back. And those of us that were cooking at the like time, cooking for real. a living, there was, it was the first look behind the curtain at, at the crap. You know, the stuff we're dealing with day in and day out. That you know, the pirate cooks and the guys that are like burning their hands. And the kind of camaraderie, you know, militaristic version of the kitchen. Yeah, it's crazy. It was, it was crazy, and that was the first time we all got to collectively, as a group, expose ourselves as a as a community, as at the same time exposed to the public what really happens, you know, behind the door in the kitchen. Kitchen Confidential: Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly. The book we're talking about, released in two thousand, uh, was was it? It wasn't written necessarily for the public. It was written just almost as a. Uh, uh, a tale of what he's experienced in he, the kitchen. He spoke from a first. He spoke from a from a point of view of having knowing what's going on. So I can understand how uh, chefs and bar owners and restaurant owners would appreciate the story in the book. Why do you think it appealed to people who had no experience in the restaurant well, the, industry? The travel element. That's the that's the biggest part that got the rest of the world. I think. Because everyone's yeah. fascinated with going to somewhere that you've never been before, mm-hmm. right? And it's in, when you, you know, want to go somewhere new, you want to. Yes. Everyone wants to wants, eat the food. That's right. the half half the reason to travel anywhere. So I've been doing this forever, and it, when he came out doing it, I was like, Shh, "That's the dream job, right?" And I was in in the process of doing uh, some of these shows that I'm doing now. It it was basically. Uh, he was the inspiration behind a lot of it. A lot of people that are doing these travel and food shows, you know, I always get people come up to me and say, are you doing what he does? And I'm, I'm like, you don't want to copy anybody, but at the same time, you're like, hell yeah. Who, who, who doesn't want that job, right? Yeah, and he felt like a critic we could trust. Because he was an insider, so when he, he said something was inside. good, you knew it was good. He wasn't he wasn't sugarcoating and giving you some fluff story about something. He was telling you legit, like if he thought it was good or not. If he thought it was bad, he was going to say. That was I, what it was. And I feel like a lot of that is what Flash was talking about earlier. Like he developed that trust with you. Like he showed you the good, the bad, and the ugly of a kitchen. He showed you how passion can drive you to work in an industry where you're not going to make a lot of money until you get to an incredibly elite level. He showed you the bad, all of the bad, and then he showed you the ugly side. He showed you the fact that most of those guys in those industries, you were doing a lot of drugs, drinking a lot, doing a lot of cocaine. And and he was incredibly (laughs) transparent about it. He was like, I had a cocaine problem. I had a drinking problem. I still have a drinking problem. Heroin. Heroin, and he admitted to all of the ugly, and he also, at the same time, was showing you like the highest of the highs. Mm -hmm. Like it, it, it was pretty incredible, and that all lent itself to us being incredibly connected to him through those TV shows, interviews, personal experiences. We all wanted to have a beer with Anthony Bourdain. He also um, did something that I thought was really cool. And, and he never got away from that in all of his books where he's like, you know, some of the hardest working guys are 
like immigrants that might not speak the language that get really looked down upon the minorities like the guy washing dishes all night who's not getting tipped who's not getting any of the glory like he really made a point of putting the spotlight on every single person in every single department in a restaurant or in a bar like all these people that you don't know about that that it takes to make the magic happen. And a lot of them, I mean, they're making like nine bucks an hour or whatever, and never in a million years are going to see any glory. But he really went out of his way to like, to give those guys props and to make sure that you knew that if you were reading his books. Yeah, and if you, if you thought that, you know, Pierre was in the kitchen toiling over your Vichyssois or your Mouliel Fritz, it, it's not. It's Jose's back there. There's, there's, a, there's a Hispanic person making your French food in a restaurant. And you better learn that that's the truth. You better be able to enjoy that because ethnicity has nothing to do with the capability of somebody who cooks for a living. It does not matter if you are Mexican. doesn't mean you make good Mexican food. They're good and bad Mexican cooks. Same for any ethnicity. That's just the fact of life. But we always have this... It's an Italian person <laughs> cooking Italian food, right? Oh, I saw. I would look back in the kitchen. It's all Vietnamese guys. Who cares? They make badass Italian food. So what? He actually and he exposed that. He actually made a point of saying in most ethnic restaurants, it's going to be more than likely Mexicans that are making your food and doing a much better job of it than like the typical white dude. In a room full of chefs, bar owners, and uh, at bar and restaurant owners. I feel a little naive because I don't know the back of the house stuff. I mean, the only time I saw back of the house is when I was, you know, chasing Flash into the kitchen for to. free drinks. AKA banging uh, girls in the kitchen or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I, I, was, show. I have limited waiter experience at best. Uh, so where, where for the layman, uh, I was at an Applebee's in Kansas City. Uh, that's, wow. That's about as far Seriously? as my, Actually, and I, and I did work at a Rembrandt's. It was a, it was a little... It was a restaurant that was converted out of a plantation house, a mansion in the middle of, of the fields in Kansas City. And the guy served French food, and he was a French chef, and he would throw pots and pans at the walls, and he would make up the prices for every customer that came in. Because he, he was influenced by Gordon Ramsay, he probably. Was, he was a real hard person to work for. Did you travel to there? put it nicely. Drying out over here. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to be about me. But you know, you can drink without the word, right? You just you just keep yeah, drinking. You don't have to drink only when they when you say <sighs> travel. Well, so, what about our, what about the listeners? You know, they, yeah. they they can't too. Just pull over if, if you know. It's hard to drink. And it, drive it's so funny hand. because you strike me as someone who would ab- you you have the kind of personality and demeanor. To just be drawn to the light of the hospitality industry, obviously only in the front of the house. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I don't know a lot of, of the back of the house stuff. Uh, I, it, hearing all of this is is interesting to me because I don't know a lot of this. I mean, I'm I'm going to assume that some of the podcast listeners. I, I don't think the either. biggest nightmare nightmare for me today is, and I'm there's the millennials because you can't find good workers. So that's the biggest for me. It's like, finding it's, a, a it's hard so worker. It's so stressful. Do you know who's a good worker? The Mexican. <laughs> well, well, the Micronesian now. But I, I would go to work and then you go to the kitchen and I thought I was going to do expo and be washing dishes for eight hours or whatever. That's For me, that's the most strident about you guys. But finding good work these days, as opposed to 15, 20 years ago, it's the worst. Uh, is the customer different today than it was 20 oh, yeah. years ago? Yes. They bitch and complain because of Yelp. They, oh. they, they want to take pictures of their food and post it. They're not even interested in eating it. Or same, I'm guessing, with the drinks, right? Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's been a bunch of studies about that as far as um, people, like the, the length of stay and the amount of time it takes people to order 
uh, amount of time it takes them to get to their first bite has gone through the roof. It's gone from like five minutes to 20 minutes because I got to get a picture. I got to like post my post before I actually have a bite of my food. Um, the interaction with guests and, and part of that's great. Part of that's like they want to know they want to know as much as possible about a drink or a dish before they order it, and then once it gets there, they want the you know the entire spiel. They want the entire experience. That's that's the you just um, hit on the the positive and the negative. The positive side in the food side and the beverage side, in large part, honestly, thanks to people like Bourdain, especially is people are more educated and more savvy about what they're eating and what they're drinking. And if they're not so educated on it, they're, they're willing and open and want to ask the right questions to get educated on it. But then the downside is... And the other half is a lot of people don't appreciate anymore like we used to. So you don't appreciate what that drink he made, he invented... You know, because it was too sweet or too whatever. The appreciation level, I think, is gone too because everyone thinks they're pros. I don't know. That's how I. Feel. Or, or do you do you appreciate it more for how photogenic it is versus how? Are you, good are you it talking? Is? It sounds like my when marketing you say, side does. Yeah. When but you it's say a people, sword. I hear yelpers. Every, no, it's everybody. It's no, us. When it's you us say people, room. I hear yelpers. Yeah, it is yelpers too. <laughs> Screw okay. all you yelpers. You can all go to hell. I, I shout out Emmy Hart, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and you said that, not me. But you, there's nothing to. You, you can go anywhere in the world and find something positive. Bourdain proved that. Right, you can go to the armpit of the world, and it's the worst place in the world. But you'll find something positive. Why do we have to bash everybody who's put in all this hard work, all this money, uh, borrowed from your savings? To, you that's know, that's getting into a tangent into yeah. just the internet world what, in general. Okay. I Bourdain, got one more thing to say about that. Bourdain did, I think. He <laughs> okay. showed all the positive things from the armpit of the world. Can you imagine Anthony Bourdain going to Guatemala, sitting down to some homemade tortillas and some amazing local food? And being like one star, yeah. no, he yeah. the right? Movie. There's no way, right? Yeah. No way, like because that's not what that show was about. That's not what he was about. And that what, show was not even about food or drinks, life. really. When culture. you think about it, it's, yeah, it's about life. It's about culture for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like he was taking us places to experience other people's culture, which was incredibly inviting, and is why so many people were drawn to it. The, the food was just the doorway, the excuse to get into a conversation with you and to learn about but, you and your people. But isn't that the way it should be? Shouldn't food and drink be bringing everybody together? Yeah. That's actually something we touched upon with Lanai's episode earlier in the Maleco and Flash podcast. Uh, we're <laughs> wow, with the real plug right there. Yeah. You, are we going to a commercial break after this? I'm so confused. <laughs> this is how, this, this is, you're going to be a re- real radio DJ one day, Flash. You're still a DJ in training. Um, hold, why don't you back up from the mic for a second? Let me bring <laughs> Lanai on here for a second. You bring a real radio yeah. DJ in. Lanai, you actually talked about this in the, in the last podcast. You talked about how um, you're doing these food tours and, and you're drawn to food because food is the connector for cultures. Particularly yeah, when, you, in, when you, you grow up in a Hawaiian family, that's all you did. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, they brought in strangers to eat. People walking on the street said, hey, come and eat. Right. Whether it was in the yard, the garage or at the table, it brings people together. So when I do my travel club stuff, it's all about the food. It's it's. Oh, yeah, we are going to Greece. But way to plug your own stuff. You know what I mean? At Lanai's Travel Club dot com. So it does bring people together. And that's what that's what Anthony was trying to to put out. Mm -hmm. It's always the non-denominator was food and drink. Right. 
And, you know, going back to the whole Yelp thing, I, it's, you know, I shouldn't have said screw all Yelpers, but if you go to my Yelp page. <laughs> backpedal, backpedal. I, no, no, I Too say, late, Lenai. I, I. Say, oh, right, screw all you Yelpers. You go to my, <laughs> you, you go to, right, we're back to square you, one. You go to my Yelp page. <laughs> he go, gave you an out. He gave you an out. Follow my account. Everybody has a five star, and I found one good thing at every restaurant, even the ones I didn't enjoy. All right. Well, Honestly, go check it out. We I, won't talk about my Yelp page. Actually, the special that CNN ran right after Bourdain passed away, um, Don Lemon brought up a good point. He said, if you get two people on opposite sides of an issue, um, and you like set them up in like a debate forum or like some sort of round table, they're going to be very adversarial. But if you get those two, two same people and you put them down at a table and you, you give them some drinks and you give them some food and then you have that same conversation, it completely changes the conversation strictly because of the fact that th now there's food and drinks there. That's part of the reason why we get everybody drinks before we start the podcast here. It's actually the only reason. It, yeah. it changes the conversation. How boring is it to have five guys in a room? Boring! Unless there's, well, there's look, a Jesus little... Jesus did it before he died. He brought everyone together, drink some wine and some food. And he always bad had news. wine. Yeah. He, and if he didn't have wine, he found some water. Boom, he makes <laughs> some wine. So, yeah. So, Anthony Bourdain, clearly in life... Huge influence, not just on chefs, bar owners, restaurant tours, but also on the general public, people who are fascinated with food culture, people who are fascinated with travel, which makes his death so much more tragic. Wait, and he said travel. Hey! Yeah, I'm sorry. That was serious. Man. All right. I was about to get serious, but that's okay. We can drink a little bit. That's good. Alcohol is a depressant. Hold on. I'm going to make you guys it. do this again for the gram. <laughs> <laughs> I got to boomerang it. Oh. It looks like Tanner made us Wait. a new cocktail. Tanner, what did you make us here? All right, so we have a, uh, uh, a round five coming. I mean, round two coming in. Uh, sherry cobbler, a little more sherry, lemon juice, sugar, and mixed berries. Cheers! Cheers, everybody! Lehi Moy, like old school Lehi Moy plum. Oh, awesome. Switch drinks. That's a that's a good summer cocktail. Right? That's nice. Mm. Wait, you got to talk into say the that mic, again, Newman, into the mic. That's a good that's a good summer cocktail right there. Thank you, Tanner. That's delicious. This is amazing. Newman. Tanner's so good. It's like you should hire him to work for you. It's it, it's ridiculous because it's been six years and he's just been crushing. <laughs> it's probably because he came from apartment three. Hey, hey, hey. So, so let's throw it back to apartment three. You got Kyle running Kohana now. Yeah. You got uh, Roxy in San Francisco just crushing. Like how many other we got people? Tanner and then we've got Trevor. Where's Trevor? Crickets. <laughs> Cue the crickets, Maleko. <laughs> <laughs> He's traveling. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, hey. Oh, travel. Hey, oh. Oh, got it. Sorry. It yeah. Right. Let me bring it around then. We, we, we've talked about Anthony Bourdain's effect on all of us in life. Let's talk about the effect his death had on each of us. It came out on, on, in early June that he had killed himself. That was the news story. Anthony Bourdain dead suicide it was almost immediate that it was announced that that's what it was um which seems to the people that knew him something that was hard to believe and i actually you touched on this a little bit earlier i want to go around the room and kind of talk about that a little bit more i actually reported it on the radio and my initial response was it's a conspiracy because he's been such an outspoken critic of harvey weinstein and the me too movement and uh his girlfriend asia has been a very outspoken critic of the Me Too movement as well. She did this crazy speech at Con this year. Um, and I was like, 
Weinstein did all this crazy stuff and had so much money and he had these like Israeli guys like hounding after um, all of his victims. I'm like, there is no way that Bourdain killed himself. It's totally staged to look like a suicide. I don't believe it. And then yesterday they released the toxology results and there was no drugs in his system and there was only trace amounts of alcohol. So... I'm really like I I, I don't want to be like that guy, but you're being that guy. You're That's being that guy. guy. And then and then and then uh, last night doing uh, research for this show, I watched his last uh, episode Berlin, which just came out a few weeks ago. I'm like, he doesn't look like a guy about to kill himself. No, there, right. there's nothing. He has an 11 year old daughter. Okay, okay. okay Alex. Yeah, let's just so what Weinstein right, takes out him instead of his girl. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just yeah. saying just, I have a hard time believing that he committed suicide. Okay, <laughs> Alex Jones, just chill out for just a second. Okay, wow. <laughs> let's just let's go back before we start getting into that for a second. Let's go back. Let's assume for the moment that what we've been told is true. Uh, Anthony right. Bourdain. Killed, would he hang himself? Was yeah. it, he yeah. hung himself? Uh, uh, he was found. He was doing a shoot in the middle of all of this. Uh, in the middle of an episode. Another reason an why episode. I, I question all of uh, it. All of this was going on. A seemingly perfect life. The guy seemed to, to have it figured out after all of his trials and tribulations in life. Um, is it then possible that somebody who seems to have it all could be hiding something dark and, and, and depressing deep inside I mean, I think that brings up an incredibly important issue in our industry and and way beyond our industry. Like, there is no telling whether the happiest person that I think any one of us would have said, like, oh, I would love to do what Anthony Bourdain does. I would love his life. I Um, think we all actually said that verbatim. Absolutely. (laughs) And and the fact that if, if that's the premise that we're going with, that he did commit suicide, like, it brings up an incredibly important issue. And, like, Hopefully that draws attention for people that may be having those thoughts to be able to get some help. Um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. I mean, if you're going through some of those things and you're thinking that way, um, it's an incredibly serious issue. And I think if we can take away anything from what happened with Anthony Bourdain, then maybe that can be something. I, I, I will say that in spite of what I just said on the conspiracy theory side, as I'm watching the Berlin episode, the last episode uh, of the newest episodes, it came out like r- right around the time he passed away. I'm watching that going, is this guy in that much pain? And how, I, I'm not putting blame on anyone else, but I'm like, he's got has a crew of people around him. He's got all these people that don't know what he's really going through. And it's like, it just, it makes it makes me really sad to think if if he was in that much pain, what a trooper he was to keep on soldiering on and like in the middle doing his show and all that stuff. But it's just like, man, I wish he would have reached out or I wish someone would have noticed the red flags. But it's like, like you said, you never know what's going on behind the curtain with anyone because you just watch that show and he seems super regular Bourdain. And how hard that can be. I mean, uh, most of you leave, uh, you know, relatively public lives. And when you're out in the public, if Dave in your bar or Maleko you know, and Lanai is doing his thing, flash not so much. But <laughs> everybody, <laughs> nobody knows who he is. True story. So, any, but, but you lead that life and you're out there. And then when you get home, you're not that person that you were when you're out because you've got to be on. You're behind a bar. You're, out, but, you're doing your tours. I mean, there's a different person. That's, that's true. But the thing sides. is, is what makes it more painful with Bourdain is we all thought he was always just being himself. So, 
if he was in that much pain, it's like I feel personally like if he was one of my actual real friends, it's like why weren't you showing me this because you were always being so real with me and being so real with everyone. Well, I'm with you because I think he, I don't think he did it. Uh, he, somebody forced him to do it. And and there is a the only thing I can see that he would have any depression of is being lonely because it is a lonely world when you're working and traveling. It's not like you're enjoying it with your friends, right? Mm-hmm. You're enjoying it with other people, which is still cool. But um, you have these long stretches of doing nothing. You see, I mean, you wa- follow his Instagram. It's all of him in his hotel room with loud music. But at the <laughs> at the same he time, has no security. Yeah. He, he, he has no security. So the only thing I could think of was loneliness. But he was he was in love with his daughter. His his new girlfriend. He enjoyed life. I don't. He, he just I had that. He it. just got into yeah. a relationship. Yes. Just, now things seem to see, yeah. seem to start coming out. You yeah. told me something, Mister KITV reporter guy, <laughs> that about his girlfriend and the open relationship. Well, he had just started this relationship, and he had just started to share. Uh, on Instagram, he was doing stories, and like you said, his stories were just you know with Asia, the actress, panoramics. Um, but it seemed as though things were going up as opposed to down. Um, but that was you know that's that's the outside looking in. Uh, what I did learn after that, I think after we spoke, was that it was also strange that he had just shot an episode uh, with the director of Black Swan. Darren Aronofsky. They had shot an episode about the uh, Bhutanese death ritual. Right. That's the newest one that I haven't... Yes. Is it, is, that's been released now. Um, or I don't know if it's been released. It's, it's coming out. I, I know out yesterday yeah. th- they had released him talking about death yeah. on and this episode. He, he and talks I, about how death or life is but a dream. And they talk about how it's, it's impossible to imagine a world where... Uh, endless hunger continues to consume the world, uh, and so he he struggles with these daily issues. And he always did that in each episode, though. Anthony Bourdain always talked about how the world was kind of depressing. That doesn't mean you go out and kill yourself, or is or does it mean that's or does the, are you exactly are you, are you were saying like the weight of the world just really got to him, and he more than most traveling the whole world? Well, that was and my initial so experience. Much how is, how is a person who saw so much of the world decide one day that he's seen enough of it? I, I mean, we could go round and round asking questions. None of us are going to have the answer. No. But it's not, it's not this is a, a refrain we've heard before. How many celebrities have we lost where you're like, wow, they seem so happy? It happens all the time. We don't know anything about these celebrity lives. But what we do know is that the impact they left doesn't have to end with their death. Uh, I mean, his impact is forever at this point. There's going to be no... There's going to be no show or no book about food or about cocktails ever from here to the end of time that is not going to be influenced. There will be, but not good ones. No, that's not going to be influenced (laughs) by Bourdain one way or the other. At at the end of the day, I mean, it's a conversation I have with the staff that, that works at Pine Jigger and Harry's Hardware Emporium. All the time, like we nice, have no, nice plug in the middle of all. We that. have no, we have no idea what our guests are going through, and our job as people that provide hospitality and service is to try to create that connection with everybody. But you never know what people are going through. You're like, why did that person come to my bar? They were so rude. They didn't want to have a good experience. You don't know what they're going through. I actually, at the end of the day. I actually used to say to all of my staff, I said, you. Don't bitch about these people. You are seeing everybody at their absolute worst. 
They're coming in for a cocktail at the end of the day, or they're doing shots and buying a bottle on a Saturday night. They they're only better versions of this any other time. And you know, I'm not gonna I'm not drop names or anything, but a lot of the celebrity friends or people that I meet, 99% of them are lonely as hell. Lonely. I, I'm not that lonely. Not you. Not he, no, said, real he said celebrities. Oh, real celebrities. Real celebrities. Real, yeah. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not podcast celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. We're not good, even podcast celebrities. No, yet. No, no, no. <laughs> what is the name of this drink? Did we discuss that? This is uh, Sherry Cobbler that Tanner made for us. This is my new favorite drink, brother. Tanner, get, Tanner loves to talk. Get in here, Tanner. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get a bartender microphone. We just got to attach a microphone to the bartender, well, just, I, or you just have Tanner and he never talks. Get him mumbling in Either the way. corner. Let's talk about travel. Let's talk about how travel. Anthony Bourdain. Yay! Let's talk about how he influenced. Lanai, in, into the mic, Lanai. Right. Let's talk about how he influenced your culinary desire to travel. Uh, well, because I got to go. Sorry. Thank you guys for having me, by the way. I know you guys are all busy. Thanks wait, for having wait, me. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you have to go? I'm working. Some of us work. <laughs> no, no, no. But what is it that you're working on that you have to leave right now? I'm doing a, a new TV show. It's called We Go Eat. So. Oh, yeah. everyone in the room, suck it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but thanks for having me, guys. This was great because I'm a huge Bourdain fan, obviously, and I got to know him after the show, which was cool. Um, but for me, travel, I've been traveling since I was a kid because my mom worked at Hawaiian Air. And when I saw his first show, I said, I'm going to do that as my job. I don't know how I ended up in radio, but I but I'm you're doing, doing television now. now. I'm sure I'm never going to get to that status, but it's the best thing I've ever done. But thank you guys for having me in. Lanai Tabor, everybody. Lanai. Thanks for coming, uh, everybody. Fun fact, Lanai just won an Emmy for uh, Ramen Show, Waikiki Yokucho yeah. oh, Ramen yeah, Show. We have, we have uh, seven more episodes of that coming out. We just finished Tokyo. That's it. Everybody in this room who's, who's raised an Emmy, have a drink. Hey! Hey, just Lanai. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming in, buddy. Thank you, Lenai. All right. It's about time, actually, to start wrapping this up. But I just want to go what? around the room just a little bit here and just kind of talk about um, the lasting effects that you'll take with you um, from uh, the Bourdain experience, if you will. Go, Dave. Go. Go. Um, for me, personally, it's going to be like being open, traveling, Taking those experiences and then being able to bring those back and share them with our guests. Um, I got to live in southern Spain and Cadiz. Um, I absolutely took a lot away from that. And like his inspiration for me is going to be to keep doing that. Um, we're drinking sherry. We have both of our drinks had sherry in them today. It's a great, like, I don't know, iteration of, of, of my love for the time I lived in Cadiz, Spain. Um, and then, like, that guy's ability to tell stories and connect you to places that you may never go or make you want to go to is, is just mind-blowing. If I can take anything away from that, it would, it would be those two things. And then on the sadder note, like, just being more aware of the fact that maybe the way we see people isn't always the way they actually are. I mean, that's 100% pretty much all the time, I would say. Ready? Um, ready? I'm ready. Hello, is this thing on? <laughs> it's your time okay. to shine, buddy. No, um, for me, from coming from the kitchen side of the business, just being a young cook and uh, you know, reading that book for the first time and the second time and the third time, and you know, giving it out to people that I thought could could gain something from 
from what he was talking about that was outside of what I could explain to them. He explained it better than I could face to face through a book. Uh, and he yeah. did touch so many people that way. Yeah. Um, that has influenced me over, you know, to this point, just because I look at that and I say, wow, somebody can be in- so introspective and so um, astute to what's going on in our business without even knowing us, but we just feel a connection through his experience and the way that he explained it. And then as I've gotten older and not, not being in kitchens and not having to cook for a living or not getting to cook for a living, um, you know, as I travel, I look at, you know, I still use that layover show. When I travel somewhere, if I'm in, Tokyo or if I'm in Osaka or I'm in London, well, first thing I do is I look up Bourdain's where to eat and, and, I've, and I've used it. I used, uh, I was in London a couple of years ago with Kara and we went to this little market, uh, market that he was at and uh, went to a little shop that he said to go to and shocker, it was amazing. Right. And it was, nobody was there. It was a small little thing. And, but just those little things and, um, his ability to connect us to places around the world that he traveled to, um, has not been done. And I don't think there's going to be a strong replacement going forward with it you know you know flash and i were talking he said you know david chang's gonna be the next uh next um by default by By default default. Um, not he is the next bourdain he's just the the only the the next travel channel it's by default it's by default yeah so he's on there and he's doing the thing but there was uh there was a humility and introspective nature that bourdain took to his travels and logging them and talking about his experiences that was different and better that i thought than anybody has done and anybody will do into the foreseeable future Flash, I want to end with you. I know that this is your show, too, so people don't really care about what you have to say. But because you have an experience with Bourdain, and it came to you at one of your darkest hours, you started a restaurant. What? You started okay. a restaurant that was struggling. I mean, you struggled. Way to paint a narrative just for the sake of well, a narrative. Well, let's, okay. let's, let's paint the narrative for what it was. <laughs> Apartment 3 was a fantastic restaurant. The concept was great. The talent was there. It was fantastic to you because you ate and drank for free. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to blow smoke up your ass. Will you let me finish? All right. I like right. it when you blow smoke up all my right. butt. <laughs> so Apartment 3 had, every, had all the ingredients for a success. It had a great... <laughs> and it, yet... It had a great ambiance. Uh, it had great talent. There was, there was fantastic... Fantastic uh, service there. Everything seemed to go well. And yet, the reality of it is, running a restaurant business was something that turned out to be incredibly difficult to do, as it is for most people. And in your case, you wound up seeking help from the book. Uh, it. Let me not, get to the question. Okay. So the question is... <laughs> As you were a restaurateur, you know, going from being a club promoter, being a bar owner, being a businessman, you know, experiencing apartment three and experiencing Wake me up running. when the question starts, guys. I love when Maleko drinks. It's so good. It's so good. It's so awesome. Experiencing a bar, which I missed terribly because I drank for free there all uh, the yes, time. Yes, I know. Um, <laughs> why do you think it didn't succeed? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> talk about how that book set you into the direction that you went into. Uh, it was very early on in Apartment 3 when Kaylee E. gave me the book, and I had heard of Bourdain, and I wasn't I, w- I wasn't a super... I actually didn't know he was a, a novelist. I, I didn't know that he was a TV guy because of the book. So I kind of... I went backwards in that way, and I read the book in like a week. <clears throat> and it was just... Um, it wasn't like I was in a dark place, but it's just like... It's just really hard to open a restaurant. There's just a lot going on. And, you know, you kind of, it, there, you have your days when you're like, what am I doing? Is this going to be worth it? And whatever. And, um, you know, in hindsight, apartment three was successful in many ways. So then you go, yeah. But at the time that I was given the book, 
Kitchen Confidential by Kaylee. I didn't, it, it was all, hadn't happened yet. So it's a lot of TBD. Um, so it was just very, um, it wouldn't have changed anything. I would still have done it. But it was inspiring to know that like, <clears throat> on a national level, there's people out there that know how hard it is to do this, to know how hard it is um, for everybody involved and to respect and appreciate that. Um, and it, it just, um, again, it wouldn't have changed anything, but it did kind of help. It, it was extra motivation at times when, you know, you may have needed it because it was just such a huge, daunting undertaking, really. And also, fun fact, I have never before since opened a restaurant, I have no business being in the restaurant business. So it's not like I really knew what I was doing. Wake True me up sorry. when the answer's True over. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, clearly that was the case. Um, <laughs> I know I give you a lot of crap for it. Apartment 3 was a great place. It was a great restaurant. I mean, I, th I think the, the secret to your failure was probably location, but uh, ultimately everything inside of it was amazing, yeah. uh, including you. Uh, on on uh, many wasted evenings. I, I mean, I will say 100%, the fact that we have cocktails and a bartender on the podcast is absolutely um, consciously, you know, there's a through line to yeah. Bourdain there. Yeah. All right, I threw you a bone. That's the only one you're ever getting right. on the show, by the way. I can, like bones. Okay. Can I, I like, share I like to bone. something <laughs> like that, that I love about our cocktail culture that we can actually throw at Bourdain? Yeah. Um. So when we cheers, we look each other in the eye. We use a certain hand. It's all depending on what culture you are. Uh, you might use your right hand because when you bring it back to your chest, it's closest to your heart. Um, I actually what, just use whatever hand the drink is in at the moment. That works. I didn't, I didn't know, but go I, on. I'm, through my travels, I realized that certain things are offensive to other hey. people. Oh. Um, and then I met this gentleman when I was traveling in Russia about 15 years ago. And I, and I do this every single time I share a cheers with people. So we have whatever cheers we would do verbally while we look each other in the eyes. Where's, uh, Le so where's said, Lanai now that you, look you're looking people in the, in the eye? In the eye. Yeah. Look me in the eye wine. Lanai, so so plug, we, would plug. Look, we would look each other in the eyes and be like, look, it's incredibly special to be here on the Mileko Flash podcast. Yeah, Mileko. <laughs> Listen here, yeah, buddy. And, and we would say that. And then we would touch our glasses to the table. But nobody, you know, there's a lot of theories where that comes from. But this, this man I met while I was traveling, he was amazing. He was like, when we touch the table, we actually think of somebody that can't be here with us. Oh. And that's a personal cheers and nothing Damn. is stated. But I kind of want to tweak it a little bit for this one time. Like I said, it's amazing to be here with you guys. Thank you for, for having this show. Um, and I'm, when I touch the table, I'm going to be thinking about Bourdain. Let's do that. I've okay. done many, many shots with Newman, and I can absolutely say for a fact he always touches the table before he mm. does a shot. Flashes something in his eye. And Flash is usually touching the waitress. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks it's for coming server. in. It's called server. All right. That's, a, that's another episode for another day. All right, guys, thanks again for coming in. Our Bourdain Roundtable today, a special episode of the Maleko and Flash podcast featuring some of our guests from former episodes. Yeah. Uh, Lanai was actually episode 16. Uh, Newman, owner of Pint and Jigger and Harry's, was actually episode 18. And former Apartment 3 owner and general liquor salesman of amazingness, Kaylee Eheen of Young's Market, was uh, actually episode number 23. 
So there you go. So tune in to each of those episodes if you want, because next week we aren't going to be here because next Wednesday is 4th of July and uh, shocker. We don't work on holidays. <laughs> we honor the holidays, so don't expect anything from us. But the week after that, we have Maleko's not just better half, I would say better nine-tenths, <laughs> Lindsay Fucano from uh, KITV, yeah, Maleko's morning show anchor woman co-host, will be on the show. My Good Morning Hawaii co-host, beautiful woman, fantastic conversationalists, and flashes secret crush i i I don't think it's that secret okay i definitely am uh down for Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) that's coming up in a couple of weeks hey before we stop can we cheers to flash's birthday oh Oh, it's your birthday it's flash's birthday yeah two days ago two days ago four four days ago i only know that because i i intercepted the uh, aarp (laughs) (laughs) be sure to tell your friends you can also subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also uh, check it out on my blog at star1019.com. Happy travels, everybody. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you, guys. Also, happy fourth coming up. That's a wrap. Special mahalo to Tito's for making us funnier. (laughs) And uh, for Naomi Hazelton for being hot. At Pacific Edge Magazine. That's sure fine. (laughs) And uh, look, how do I win my flask cap? I already forgot because I've had too much Tito's. All right, so if you want to win your very own flask cap, which is the new yes. way to enjoy a beverage doing yes. your favorite activity, here's what you've got to do. Take a picture of you doing something awesome that would be 10 times more awesome if you had a flask cap while you were doing it. So it could be a picture of you hiking Cocoa Head. Yeah. Maybe a picture of you on the beach. Uh, maybe surfing. Maybe if you were on a boat. Ideally... Somewhere where maybe you're not supposed to have the alcohol. Yeah. Or maybe maybe it wouldn't be the appropriate thing. Yeah. Please don't send a picture of of you driving. But if you're a passenger, is that okay? If you're riding in a lift, absolutely. Oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Of you riding in a lift, absolutely. So take a picture of you doing something awesome that would be 10 times more awesome with a flask cap, hiding five ounces of your favorite liquor, where you can mix it up and have a good time. Hashtag Maleko and Flash. Hashtag flask cap. That's, flask cap. Yeah, that's F L A S K A P. If you put those two flash tags or those two hashtags, <laughs> <laughs> I just came up with a new yeah, word for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> flash tags. Put those two hashtags on your post, and uh, we will pick a winner every week to win a flask cap. How dope is that? And if you want to win it, just post it now, and we'll let you know via the Insta. Do it. Hey, that's it. So if you liked what you heard, which which is unlikely, but that's fine. <laughs> but if you did, tell your friends. Yes. How would I tell my friends? How how does this iHeart app podcast thing work? Really, really good. Look up. You see you see those three dots at the top of the screen there on the right? Click that. That's the uh, the okay. share button. Check. Got and it. then you can uh, email it. You can text your friends. You can copy the link. You could post it on social media. Yeah. Just post it on social media. We don't I'll want you to text your friends or email them. We want every we want as many people mm-hmm. to know about this as possible. So yeah. don't be shy. And don't forget to follow us on social. I'm at DJ Maleko. I'm at Flashy808. That's Flashy with two E's. Or I guess if you turn still the, talking, if like, you turn the push up. notifications on on your on your app, then it will automatically tell you. I'm not listening. That there's I've a new show coming up. Left the room. <laughs> no one cares. Oh, I so want to hear more. <laughs> hey! <laughs>